0: Today on the Zabe Cast, the U.S. Open begins at Shinnecock Hills. What's the better story, Tiger winning or Phil completing the career Grand Slam? Tom Lavero joins me to discuss the depth of the Redskins season ticket waiting list, the Capitals Cup, and Bryce Harper's future. All of that plus the real strength of animals in the wild. You'd be shocked if you've got forty-five minutes to kill. Then buckle up and let's go. <laughs> thursday june 14th 2018 thank you for downloading the united states open golf tournament is underway under sunny and breezy skies at shinnecock hills golf club on the tip of long island no point in giving scores because uh it's way early number one number two a lot of you Binge listen to these Zabe casts, and so by the time you listen to this, uh, the, the scores from the first four hours of the tournament will be woefully obsolete. But I do just have to say, oh boy, look at this. A number of favorites, a number of star players, just came right out of the gate and drove their scorecard into a ditch. Rory McIlroy, Rory McIlroy, plus six through eight holes. I would say he's probably not going to win this week. Jordan Speith plus 5 through 8 holes right out of the gate. Jason Day plus 5 through 10 holes right out of the gate and yes Phil Mickelson plus 4 through 8 holes as well on Thursday morning right out of the gate. I'm not going to write all these guys off but uh, you know it's not good your leaders at least at this juncture. Uh, as we sit here and tape this at about 10.45 a.m. on Thursday morning, Ian Poulter and Matt Kuchar and some guy named Callum Hill, all at two under par through nine, eight, and five holes, respectively. Who's Callum Hill? Well, uh, like the U.S. Open does, it produces a lot of names that people go, who the are these guys? And the answer is they're qualifiers. And the U.S. Open is unique in that it is the United States Open Championship, in which they make pretty much all but a very tight top tier of players. I think it's maybe 60 exempt out of 154-man field or something like that. Yeah, nice research. Uh, Just treat the podcast like it's shit. Okay, I I don't have the number, but the concept is there. It's something like 60 automatic qualifiers, and the rest are those that go through the qualification process. So it's almost 90 guys many of whom you've never heard of, really good amateurs, uh, good young tour pros, uh, mini-tour pros, European players. They they just opened up qualifying for the U.S. Open several years ago. I'm not sure how many, several, ten, five, something like that. Within the last 20, they, they provided a European section qualifier for the United States Open. They used to make European players who were playing the European Tour fly all the way to the States to come play in a qualifier to get in to the U.S. Open. And the USGA finally figured out, yeah, that is probably a bit unrealistic. We should maybe keep a few spots, four or five spots in our back pocket and we'll hold a qualifier over somewhere in Europe and get a more worldwide field. So there are randos. There are randos in the U.S. Open mix, and if they have a hot week, they could contend. We haven't had a true qualifier qualifier who's not a tour player on some tour win the U.S. Open in a long, long time. And again, don't ask me who that was. Nice research again. Go ahead. Hey, just want people deleting the podcast, put no effort into it. Shut up. Shut up. I could Google it right now. Not the same as research. Last U.S. Open winner who was who, who was a qualifier. Does that make sense? Google. You know what I'm asking. Pretty soon, you know, eventually, uh, uh, eventually they'll just figure. You know, the internet will know what we what we want. And uh, let's see, is Tony Romo stuff here? Uh, The youngest ever qualifier was 14-year-old Andy Zhang of China. Uh, He qualified uh, uh, a while ago. I want to say Jack Fleck, who beat Hogan, might have been the last qualifier. Uh, And someone's going to email me this after the fact. I thank you for that. I'll try to mix it into a future podcast. U.S. Open golf winners. All right. Wikipedia. Here we go. List of champions. I'll just scan it and go backwards. Nice, tight list. Kepka, Dustin Johnson, Jordan Spieth, Keimer, Rose, Webb Simpson, McElroy, McDowell, Glover, Woods. Lucas Glover was not a qualifier, people. He was a tour pro, uh, and and yeah. He was not a well-known tour pro, but he was a tour pro. Angel Cabrera, Jeff Ogilvy, Michael Campbell. Huh. Possible qualifier? I think he was a tour guy. Matif, Goosen, Jim Furyk, Tiger Woods, Goosen, Woods, Stewart, Jansen, Ells, Jones, Pavin, Ells, Jansen, Kite, Stewart, Irwin, Strange, Strange, Simpson, Floyd, North, Zeller, Nelson, Watson, Graham, Nicholas, Irwin, North, Green, Pate, Lou Graham, Hale, Irwin, Johnny Miller, Nicholas, Trevino, Jacqueline, Moody, uh, Lee Trevino, Jack, Nicholas, Casper, Player, Venturi, Boros, Nicholas, Littler, Palmer, Casper, Bolt, Dick Mayer, Dick Mayer, uh, he actually has some uh, notations next to him. The the cross notation. Let's see what that is. Uh, he won in a playoff. Okay, that that doesn't say anything. He might have been a qualifier two years prior. Jack Fleck uh, won at Olympic Club, 1955. One of the legendary uh, one of the legendary wins in golf history. Maybe we'll see that this week at Shinnecock Hills, but don't. Don't count on it. What would be the bigger story, the better story, the more sizzle story? Would it be Tiger Woods winning finally in this miracle comeback of his amazingly, I'm sure he's not using anything illegal, recovery from about 106 back surgeries? Would it be that, or would it be Phil Mickelson, beloved in New York and the New York area, finally closing the loop and and, and finishing the career grand slam? At I think he would also be the oldest major winner in history. Again, have you done any research for this thing? Well, not really, actually. Uh, let's see. Phil Mickelson age. Well, you know. Uh, he's 47, yes. He's 47. He would be the oldest major winner ever. Uh, Perry, uh, Kenny Perry came close at, I think, 48 at Augusta and sculled that chip on 17. Womp womp. Uh, Tom Watson would have been 50-something when he would have won the British, except for Stewart Sink, beat him in the playoff after Tom Watson three-putted pathetically from just off the back of the green at Turnberry. So, yeah. So, Mickelson being the oldest winner ever, beloved, oldest major winner ever, uh, the most you know beloved guy in the New York City, New York area when it comes to pro golf, and completing the career Grand Slam. And given that he skipped last year's U.S. Open because he was going to his daughter's graduation, be a pretty good story. But like I said, he's off to a bad start for over. Tiger, though, would blast everything to outer space. It, Tiger Woods would be beyond that because Tiger Woods still is the needle. Mickelson moves the needle, Tiger is the needle, and therefore you know, that's the difference there. I just hope it's a, a, a good U.S. Open, and i do believe this is the first year in which, if there is a tie, that they will go to a same-day playoff again with the research. Okay? Everyone relax. It's not hard to find this out. U.S. Open changes playoff format. I believe this would be uh, the first year. Uh, yes. Feb 26, 2018. Uh, And this would take uh, so long, 18 holes of golf on the Monday following the U.S. Open. The USGA announced that the playoff format for the U.S. Open will now be a two-hole aggregate score on Sunday instead of 18 holes of golf the following day. Two-hole aggregate. That's interesting. That is is different two-hole aggregate than the British, which is a three-hole aggregate, and different than the PGA Championship and the Masters, which is sudden death. Long, damn overdue, because this Monday playoff was a total buzzkill. And don't tell me about the Tiger Woods Rocco Mediate thrilling ninety-one hole showdown at La Jolla at Torrey Pines. That was a one-off. That you know, yeah, that was great because Tiger was in it. But there have been other less interesting ones like Retief Goosen and Mark Brooks in two thousand one in an eighteen hole playoff. Uh, Ernie Els beat Colin Montgomery and Lauren Roberts in a playoff in 94 in Oakmont. Those are the only three playoffs in the last 25 years. You may say, well, it's only happened three times. What's the big deal? The big deal is this is modern sports we're living in. This is 2018, okay? Ain't nobody got time for that to say, well, you just spent six hours on the couch on Sunday on Father's Day, and you blew off your kids and wife, but you wanted to because you wanted to watch golf, and at the end of the day, what did you get? You got a big, fat nothing. You got a fucking tie a tie which nobody likes in sports, and come back tomorrow to watch 18 holes of just two golfers. Maybe one guy shoots 77, the other guy shoots 70, and it's not even close. Yay! Let's drag all the volunteers back out here. Let's interrupt daytime programming on TV. What, you're not down for that? That's not exciting for you? Oh, you have to work on Monday? Huh, well, too bad for you. Took a while for the USGA to figure out that that was a necessary thing. So... Hopefully we'll get a two-hole aggregate playoff. Maybe a three-player, two-hole aggregate playoff. Three players, two holes, one cup. That sounds kind of dirty. All right, I got some audio for you you're going to like. I know you're going to like it. If you haven't heard it already, if you haven't seen it already and heard it, you're really missing out. Get on it now because the Internet is trying to furiously erase it. This is Terry Collins arguing an ejection of Noah Syndergaard, his pitcher, In 2016, I want to say, uh, the first meeting they had with the Phillies after Chase Utley, in a hard slide, took out Jose Reyes and basically broke his leg the previous year. You knew that somebody was going to get plunked. Let me make sure that I've got those details correct as well. Uh, Jose Reyes, Chase Utley, okay. Uh, There you go. Okay, yeah, October 11th, 2015. Met shortstop Ruben Tejada. Oh, okay. Uh, it was Tejada that got carted off the field. And it was uh, uh, Utley who did it, and it was Jose Reyes who called him out for it. So, bad blood there. Okay. All right. Well, anyway, here's the, uh, here's the exchange as the Mets went for their pound of flesh in retaliation the first chance they got afterwards, and it was one pitch behind the head by Syndergaard, and then, well, here comes Terry Collins. Take a listen
1: do that. You're not, not in that situation, man. You can't... You that's not, 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 not going to happen. I mean, I, I knew you were going to say that, Are you fucking happen. kidding me?
0: I mean, that's, that's the wrong time to do it. That's all. i'm that's wrong to do it. Yeah, no, it, it's, it is what it is, but that's, that's, that ain't gonna happen. We're, ain't our gonna happen. is in the jackpot. We don't do something there. That, our just ass that. is in the jackpot. Wait, shouldn't Should there be? A, a shouldn't there be a no, warning? no. I mean, okay. The situation of what, what happened and everything else that's
1: what dictates that. Okay. But there was no prior knowledge that before Neal, the game started. I mean, Neal, if Larry comes into the dugout Neal, and says, "Hey, Neal, if somebody gets
0: Neal, hit," then that's – everybody, everybody knows. Everybody knows what what the situation is. Okay. I love how loud it's getting now. Here comes Terry Collins. Here he comes. It, take him. Take him. Terry, Terry. 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 Terry, talk, Terry, Terry. Terry. <laughs> Terry, Terry, <laughs> Terry. <laughs> Terry. It's Terry. It, Terry. Terry. Get, get a handle. Come on. Let's go. Come on, talk, talk to me.
1: Bullshit. Come, talk, talk to me. Tommy, that's talk fucking bullshit. Terry, talk you to know me. It. Then you talk to me I about that. You know okay. You gotta give us a shot. You know what? You gotta give Harry, us a shot. Okay, Tom. listen to me let me hear what I'm saying, okay? You get your shot. You had your shot
0: right there. In the situation. Well, why you not? know the situation, know. Terry. Why okay. don't you get a shot, Terry? Because Tommy? That, it, that makes Bulls it worse. Shit. Terry, that makes it fucking come worse. I know
1: it. The am MLB did nothing to that guy. Nothing. Okay, that that I, I can't God control that, it. Terry. I can't control
0: that. You know as well as I do fucking where I, Terry. You know where I stand on the whole fucking situation. Damn it, we'll that, s- but that's but like that's. you're a, better than that, Tommy. No, you no, know that. Terry, listen. I'm telling you, our ass is in the jackpot now. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay? That's I'm just telling our you. Our ass is in the jackpot. You know what? That, that, that's you got you got it. Okay, get it. You got, you got everything. You out got you. everything out. You <laughs> killed him, the motherfucker. One more time. <laughs> That is fantastic stuff. I'm going to get Tom Lavero to comment on that because uh, he knows a thing or two about these manager and umpire interactions. God is that freaking gold. Guys love that stuff. Just like Francesa said about playing fantasy. Guys will eat that up all day. Eat that up all day. We as sports fans would eat that up all day. We would love to have more audio of these kind of interactions. I've said this for years that if you were to allow fans to pay for a premium feed that has the on-field microphones or on-court microphones for NBA games or on-field for the NFL, and you could hear everything they're hearing in the truck. Oh, my God, would guys eat that up. Problem is, it would just cause one headache after another. And in today's increasingly butthurt uber sensitive ridiculously hair trigger society you know that it wouldn't be long before people are saying we got we gotta not show this stuff like the, there has to be some sacred line of you know you can see what's going on you might hear something but otherwise what's said on the field stays on the field but that was that was fantastic and uh, I, I say more please and it's being taken down from a lot of different places where it normally is. So I would say get it, grab it. If you know how to download video off the internet, I would do it now before that priceless gem disappears for good. Speaking of into the jackpot, here's uh, a little background. Thank you to Smooth Smith at Just a Jabroni for sending this explanation from Mets blog. Uh, re- umpire Tom Hallian says, it's our asses to the jackpot if we don't do something here. Hallian first says this, says this to Syndergaard, and then later to Collins, meaning if we don't eject you, MLB will come down on us for letting a beanball war occur. P.S. Knowing Utley, he probably would have just taken it and moved on because he's old school too. The actual phrase was a new one to me, writes this particular blogger, but Twitter user Bruce Edwards four did find a quote from the 2000 TV movie Homicide the Movie, in which Detective Frank Pembledon, played by the great Andre Brower, says... This is not taking a bullet for you. This is you wanting me to toss your ass in the jackpot. You're confessing to a murder, Tim. Do you understand that? Wherever Hallian had heard the phrase, his implication was clear. That basically, uh, you become part of the prize. You become part of the jackpot. And that you don't want to be that one that is in there where your ass is indeed, quote unquote, part of the jackpot. I know this. Tom Lavero, any time I get to talk to him, it's like a miniature jackpot, if not a mid-sized jackpot. And my old friend and grizzled scribe swung by for a few minutes today. Joining us now, you know him, you love him, Tommy Lavero, longtime columnist in this town, still writes for the Washington Times. You hear him on WJFK 106.7 with my friend Andy Polan. Tommy boy, how about them caps? How about them, Caps? Well, you know,
1: I'm a big believer in track record. And uh, until you've done what the Caps have done, I'm not going to buy into
0: you. So I was (laughs) one of the last ones. You were one of the last holdouts on this team, weren't you? Absolutely. To the very end, did you not write that they had lost the Stanley Cup in game one? Absolutely. (laughs) I absolutely did. Go big or go home, baby. You did. I, I did. I
1: said. I said. You give. You. You score four goals against uh, Mark uh, Fleury Andre Flurry.
0: Uh, yeah, and you don't win. The road, and
1: yeah. you don't win. That's a lost opportunity. That. That. That's the series right there. Uh, your job. Your I,
0: job is not to root for the damn team. You are. Right. A, you are a big J journalist from the old school trade. I am a clown fanboy who's on the radio, <laughs> not a journalist. I'm the one that's supposed to root for the team, not you.
1: Now that said. Uh, And I, I, you know, we tell people this in in our business, when the teams win, it's better for all of us. We all make more money. We all get more attention. And so, I mean, you know, I I always root for me. So the fact that the Caps won the Stanley Cup, I mean, I got more work. I I, I got more. I, I gained more followers. It's just it's just it's it's a good thing. So, you know, I didn't root against them, but people thought I was rooting against them,
0: but I was wrong, and I was glad to be wrong. In fairness to you, Tom, you cover the team a lot. You show your face. You put in the work, in part because the Caps give you parking, whereas the Wizards don't. (laughs) And it's all about the parking with you. But in fairness, you have covered this team for many a year, and you put your face in that locker room after gut-wrenching postseason loss, after gut-wrenching postseason loss. Am I right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, I've been in that locker room when in front of Nicholas Backstrom where he, he had this like deer in the headlights look saying, I don't know what's wrong with us. You know, he'd say we're, we're not desperate enough. You know, we don't have a sense of urgency. You would hear these words coming out of the Capitals locker room uh, year after year after their second round exit. Uh, and what was interesting is the language this year to describe the team was flipped. You heard Barry Trotz say how much he liked his this team's sense of urgency when they played. You you heard you heard words to describe like their their competitive level. Right. I remember against when they lost to the Penguins, all the Penguins coach could talk about was his team's compete level. Oh, well, nice. now you heard you heard the you heard Barry Trotz talking about his team. So they flipped the script and I think
0: getting past Pittsburgh was the key. I think it was. Also, you have said over the years, at least when we were doing shows, me, you, and Andy on the Sports Reporters, that your heartfelt belief, your genuine belief, was that Alexander Ovechkin cared more about winning a gold medal for Mother Russia than winning the Stanley Cup. Obviously, he seemed to care a lot and revel a lot in winning the Stanley Cup. What are your thoughts on this evolution of old Alex Ovechkin?
1: Well, I, I chalk it up to the gray hairs he sees in the mirror. <laughs> I, really, I do. I mean, I, I think that uh, – and I think this was part of the conversation that Barry Trotz had with him when he went to Russia in the offseason and spent some time with Ovechkin. I think uh, Ovechkin realized that he, he, he was worried about his career being defined by what he hadn't done as opposed to what he had done. He heard the criticisms about never winning the Stanley cup of that. And I think he finally took it to heart because he's closer to the end than he is to the beginning of his career in the NHL 13 years. I mean, he, I think he's 32 or something like that. Uh, but so I really do think he, he looked at this and said, I don't want to be defined by, by my failures, no matter how great my accomplishments have been. I want to take that away from my critics. And I think he changed his priorities, but Barry Trott said that that at the end of the regular season, he said, uh, Ovech can change his priorities more towards team goals. So, I mean, I I think that was a big impact. I think maturity getting old fear of, of not of seeing the end of his career. I think that all contributed to what was a great season for him and a great
0: postseason. And now it changes his legacy. Immeasurably and forever, and it cements it in an entirely different orbit in the the hockey pantheon. Correct? Yes. I mean, you know,
1: if you're going to be a geek and count how many Stanley Cups a guy has, I mean, I I just think that's foolish. I think I think once he got that one Stanley Cup, that 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 takes away the. There's nothing else you can say about alice Ovechkin. He's won the MVP in the league three times. He's won seven scoring titles. Uh, I mean, his greatness now is defined by his accomplishments, not by what he hasn't done. And one Stanley Cup will will make all the difference. I mean, if it, it, they can't take it away from you, yeah, you know. So, I mean, you I mean if and and you know, I I think the Capitals have an opportunity to do more. I think this is a team that that is is not going to take a step back, but I think is only going to be better. Uh, since Yurgeny Kuznetsov it may be the best player on the team, sure. actually, the, the 26-year-old Russian counterpart. So uh, there may be more, but now he has it, and I think it changes his legacy, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I agree. One is One is enough. One title is enough for any legendary player. Yes. That if you just start nitpicking, well, he only has one. You're going to be a lonely guy on a bar stool at the end of the bar with nobody that wants to talk to you because you're a fucking idiot. Uh, yeah. You know, Brett Favre has one. That's more than enough given all of his other accomplishments when it comes to the game of football. And you can name a bunch of other guys in the similar boat.
1: Uh, absolutely. You know, Aaron Rodgers. Uh, we'll go football. Steve Young. Steve Young has one Super Bowl. Yeah. So no, I think this, this was a, A big moment for for Ovechkin, a big moment for Barry Trotz, who also did not want his career defined by his playoff failures as well. You know, He didn't want to be known as the greatest coach uh, of his time, never to win a Stanley Cup. Uh, And getting past Pittsburgh, I think, was a big deal for them. I just think, I mean, you, you go back and you look. I went back and looked at the way this team would talk after games against the Penguins, and they were defeated. They were defeated, and I think the infusion of youth on this team sort of helped get rid of some of that baggage.
0: All right, let's turn to uh, let's turn to baseball here. Is there a Bryce Harper comp on Alex Ovechkin? Because he's coming up on what will be a massive payday, either from the Lerner family or somebody else. Harper is having an interesting season in that his average is not good, but his power numbers are still there. And he's at times showing what looks like a bit of, I don't know, disinterest at times out there on the field. What are your thoughts on whether or not the Nationals should back up the Brinks truck and keep Bryce Harper in town?
1: I'm looking at a Washington Nationals outfield next year of Victor Robles, uh, Michael A. Taylor. And Juan Soto.
0: Which is a pretty good outfield <laughs> yes, in terms yes. of youth. And a hell of a lot cheaper than than uh, Bryce Harper being in it.
1: Yes. I mean, they have Juan Soto for the next six years. They have, they'll have have Victor Robles for six years. For
0: those that don't know, Juan Soto, 19-year-old, just hit two home runs at Yankee Stadium in a single game. He has had a spectacular first six weeks up in the bigs. And he apparently is the real deal.
1: Yeah, and not just spectacular, but smart, intelligent. I mean, he tro- shows tremendous plate discipline for a 19 year old kid. Right. So, no, I'm not going to pay Bryce Harper uh, if I'm the Washington Nationals. Why and, not? Uh, why
0: Why not? It's just money. I'm going to throw the "It's just money" at you argument.
1: Yeah, but it, it, it's. I mean, but it's not money when you're working for the lear- when, when the learners. It's just not money. You know, it's always going to be. I mean, these are they have Mike. Mike Rizzo, the general manager, has payroll limitations. And whether the learner should do it or shouldn't do it, that's the way they operate. So there's always going to be purse strings that, that you're going to have to watch. And Rizzo Rizzo maps out a team for the next three or four years. He has a board in his office that you know imagines what the Nationals will look like in 2021, 2022. And that is, requires payroll flexibility. And locking in a guy like Bryce Harper to, let's say, I don't know, a 10-year, $400 million contract maybe, that takes away a lot of your payroll flexibility. And, you know, I'm not sure he wants to be here. He says he wants to be here. People close to him say he wants to be here. But I agree with you. He doesn't look like he's having fun, does he?
0: No. And isn't he the minister of fun when it comes to baseball? (laughs) Didn't he lecture us as fans on, hey, man, baseball's supposed to be fun?
1: Yeah, I think I think it's starting to weigh on him. I think, look, he, he he got off to the wrong, wrong foot this year when he walked into a press conference in spring training and told reporters, if you ask me anything about my contract, I'm going to walk out. So already he was telling you that the burden of this free agency is already wearing on him and which, which I thought was really, really weak and disingenuous. He's not the first superstar to go into his contract year. You know, so what, should, uh, should he
0: have to sit there and answer questions about it all summer long? Because you know... Well, I don't think he every, would answer, okay. answer questions all summer long.
1: M- Manny Machado uh, gets the same questions occasionally and, and, you know, basically gives an answer to it. But, you know, at some point, people get tired, you know, and uh, well, uh, come yeah, the All-Star yeah. game, he's going to hear a lot of it.
0: Yeah, well, that's, oh, that's going to be a big one as well. Yeah. But I, I have a hard time, like, could they... Could they have had him wrapped up to a long-term deal a couple of years ago and avoided all this, or did Harper steadfastly, with Boris in hand, refuse to give up anything until the maximum point of leverage, which they assumed would be this summer, but maybe that leverage is going to start to dissipate. Could they have locked him up two years earlier? I don't think so. I think
1: uh, he's determined to be, and again, I could be wrong on this because – doesn't really talk to me anymore. All right,
0: you you've been wrong uh, about the capitals, you're wrong yeah. about where the Nat stadium would be. You've been yeah. wrong. Okay, sorry. <laughs> We've all been wrong about plenty of things.
1: <laughs> so, so, I just think that he's he he's been determined to be a historical figure in this game. And that would mean uh a you know, the highest pride free, free agent at least at that time in in the history of of the game. Uh, he's not Steven Strasburg who who who, who would rather pitch in front of an empty stadium who doesn't want attention and who told Scott Boris that he wanted to stay in Washington. You know, if, if Bryce Harper told Boris that, that's what would happen. I mean, Boris, as much as as much as he gets maligned, he's going to do what his client tells him to do.
0: Okay. So. Well, we'll see. And, and I guess, did the Stanton trade to the Yankees tilt the entire checkerboard? in terms of where he could go and what he might make? Because Stanton is not having a good year, and you start to look at, should we pay any hitter that much money, uh, given the state of the way baseball is these days? You know,
1: it would seem to. I think the Dodgers are still the prohibitive favorite. Uh, they, they'll have the payroll to do it. Uh, Stan Caston is very close. The former Nationals president now part owner of the Dodgers and the Dodgers president. Still very close to the Bryce Harper and his father. Uh, the West Coast, LA, is only a couple hours from Las Vegas. Okay. Uh, so I think that the Dodgers are, are the other front runner and will remain so uh, going into uh, the offseason. Uh, but uh, you know, it's interesting. I mean, right now the Nationals. Bryce Harper is the third most interesting figure on that team behind A, Juan Soto. And Scherzer. And, and, and Scherzer, who yeah. who we're watching. We're watching Sandy Koufax. We're watching one of the great pitchers
0: we've ever seen in oh, this game right now. Uh, Walter Johnson. I mean, it's historic yeah, yes. right now what he's doing. He's ridiculous. Yes, and he is must watch
1: uh right now every time he takes him
0: out yeah must watch because his games go really fast too because nobody's getting a hit pretty much (laughs) all right this was we we lost we lost someone near and dear to all of us in the dc market uh yesterday and it was it was a sudden passing a bit shocking as well but the redskins season ticket waiting list died suddenly on june 13th tommy (laughs) Lavero. with new executive Brian LaFamina basically coming out of the woodwork saying, oh yeah, no, there's no season ticket waiting list, and if you want to buy tickets, here's the phone number. You tell me, on a scale of one to shocking, how was it for you to hear a Redskins official pretty much lay bare the lie that we all had agreed upon for years now that there was some pent-up demand for tickets to a football team that's been relentlessly mediocre on their best day?
1: i was in the room when he said it yesterday i went to redskins park to meet the guy and was was sitting across from him at a table when he said it and i'm looking at him and i'm thinking oh mister i can't i i should take i should take a picture of you now so you can look at it two
0: years from now and see what you look like oh mister <laughs> i mean you also by the said- way were you were you stunned Because this was not on the agenda. There was no press release saying, come talk to Brian LaFamina, who will say last rights to the season ticket waiting list that supposedly was up to 200,000 people long as recently as 2013. It was stunning. It was, but there was a lot stunning. Uh, To me,
1: the more remarkable statement was he called the Redskins a sleeping giant. Now think about this. When you're describing a t- some a team that's a sleeping giant, you're talking about a team that no one's paying attention to, that flies under the radar. Have right. you ever heard the Washington Redskins described like that, like sleeping giant? No, no that's a team that no one's paying attention to. Are you kidding me? Yeah, We're talking about the Redskins,
0: uh, and that that's describing an underperforming asset or perhaps a fixer-upper house. Yes. You say, hey, with a little TLC, and if we gut the interior mechanicals of this house, we could really restore her to something nice. This is far <laughs> from the Tiffany franchise the team and the ownership has thought they still were with the gleaming three Lombardies, won by an entirely different coach, entirely different administration, entirely different owner 27 years ago.
1: And, and you know, another thing he said, which which really... I'm surprised everybody in the room didn't gag when he said, there are no secrets. He said, there, <laughs> there and, are no secrets. And, and I'm surprised. What at does that, that point, mean? I, I don't know what that meant, but I'm surprised after he said that gas pellets didn't drop in the room. <laughs> and, and we weren't all gassed by Bruce Allen at that point. Who, 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 who keeps please, everything. secret. Sequ- I mean, this is the anti Bruce Allen when we think please. about it.
0: Right. Okay, I mean, Bruce so, Allen keeps everything secret. Okay, so this is my question to you then, looking at the big, big picture, zooming out even further. What does this mean that there is such a radical tone shift with this organization? What is the net-net, boil-it-down-Tommy essence of what we're seeing? I think- I've, got, I've got one word in my mind, and I'll, I'll let you say yours, and then I'll say mine.
1: Well, I think finally some you know, Dan Snyder, or whoever, somebody besides Bruce Allen in charge said that, uh, you know, I, and it wasn't just I, I, you know, it may have come from the league. You know, this guy worked for the NFL. Right. And, and maybe people in the league were in Dan Snyder's ear saying, hey, you know, it's a new world in the NFL right now. We're battling. We, we, I mean, yeah, uh, we, we may have all this revenue. We may be getting all this revenue. But every day there's there's a negative story about our product out there. So we're fighting a fight here, and it's all the teams that are fighting for it. So you can't just open up shop and expect to do business anymore. Maybe somebody from the league told them that, and maybe that's why this guy came from the NFL. He's an outsider who worked for the league for years. They also hired a chief marketing officer uh, who was the marketing officer for the Jacksonville Jaguars and let's face it, it was pretty hard getting the people to come to see Jaguars games. So that guy might be pretty good at his job yeah. uh, at, at this point. So I think it, at some point they realize what the rest of the NFL has sort of realized is we can't just open up shop anymore. Uh, it's a competitive field. Uh, and and even though we're bringing in all this revenue, uh, the cost of all this negative publicity is, is going to wear down on us. Yeah. We've got to we've got to change the narrative about our product and they looked at the redskins and said you got to change the narrative of this team
0: yeah i think the uh, my overriding thought was quiet panic that there is a quiet and urgent panic beneath the surface that this organization has said we have got to get grinding right now because god forbid you know, Alex Smith is not all we think he's gonna be, and God forbid this young team that we didn't add much to this past off season doesn't bloom and sprout like we hope, and we go five and eleven. Any NFL team, as you know, Tom, without an elite quarterback, and we don't have one in Alex Smith, we've got a good quarterback, not an elite guy. Any team can go five and eleven with a blink of an eye, with a couple of injuries, with a little bit of bad breaks. Five and eleven this year would be devastating for this team, I think. Yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely! I, I still think there are seven and nine to nine and seventeen, maybe even ten wins. I was at uh, mini camp yesterday, uh, and I understand why they're feeling good about this team. Uh, they got a lot of good athletes in that room. A lot, a lot of impressive things going on in mini camp,
0: which means nothing. But then uh, we, we've but, always been optimistic yes. about the team every spring. That's I the know, natural cycle me. of it. I, not you, I, okay?
1: I haven't necessarily been. Uh, and I don't, I'm not saying I am now, but what I saw yesterday from some of the young guys uh, and uh, and I thought I was impressed. I can understand why they feel good. OK, you know, but I, I that, mean... but 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 it's a long way towards feeling good against your own players and go and, and competing in a division with the Super Bowl champion. Sure. Uh, and Ezekiel Elliott, full season Dallas Cowboys and a new head coach in the uh, New York Giants. Uh, you know, so I mean, they're I think, in a
0: tough division right now. I think Geis and Doxson and the secondary are the three biggest wild cards, along with the wild card. Every team gets dealt every year, which is injuries. Yes, and I think they need to have three of those four wild cards break in their direction. Otherwise, yes, they have they have some good young talent. They're they're doing. I'll, I'll give them this. They're they're earnestly doing some some smart things, and they're trying smartly i i thought they were smart the redskins tommy in not basically paying anything for a lot of these guys that were walking out the door this spring because most of the guys that walked out the door weren't worth much so i applaud that strategy but it's going to come with a bit of risk and maybe some short-term pain until you know you keep filling up the roster with younger better players
1: yeah and it's funny because there's a quote from jay gruden earlier uh this week where he said they don't have any time there's no there's no there's no time they need they need to win now he said and i don't know if he's talking about himself or the team or what but uh i'm not sure they have time for short-term
0: pain yeah so when do you think the new stadium is going to get announced well i think you're going to see it uh heat up once the
1: uh not that look muriel bowser is was going to win it's going to win the democratic nomination for re-election as, as mayor in the district but i put the primary in dc i think is next week i think once that's over you know then i think you're going to see more talks and more news heat up about uh you know the district and a new stadium i don't know what they're going to do in maryland because uh you know Larry Hogan, you know, is running for re-election as governor there. He has to wait till November, but he's a very popular governor, and I'd be surprised if he if he's not re-elected at this point. So I don't know what what Maryland's role will be in this. And I've never taken Virginia seriously as everybody else. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for one thing, I mean, you have this debacle of a training camp. That is costing the city of Richmond hundreds of thousands of they're, dollars.
0: They're taking a bath on that son of yeah. a bitch. poor right, guys.
1: Right right next to where the legislature meets. In yes. the in the capital of the state. You think they're not paying attention to what's happening to training camp? Yeah. And they're and they're gonna approve money, you know, to help support a new Redskin stadium. It's a tough uh, one.
0: That's for yeah. sure. It'd be a very and, tough pill to swallow.
1: And Virginia nothing
0: ever gets built like this in Virginia. They've been waiting for
1: a baseball stadium, new baseball stadium minor league stadium for decades Tommy, in Richmond.
0: Tommy, I was I was eager to have the Loudon Hounds be my beloved minor league baseball team yes. with an adorable-looking logo, a cute little puppy dog with a baseball <laughs> in his mouth, and it was going to be right in my county, 10 minutes away from my house, the Loudon Hounds. It never yes. happened. So it just I, doesn't, yeah. it, it doesn't happen. Look up
1: at the, the Potomac Nationals—they've been playing in that dump oh of a God. minor league stadium for, for, for decades. Jack Ken Cook wanted to build uh, the new Redskins Stadium, Potomac Yards. Nothing gets built like this in Virginia. It doesn't yeah. happen.
0: Yeah, okay. uh Let's uh, real quick on this, and then uh, I got one thought for you on Canelo Triple G, which was announced uh, the second the sequel announced yesterday. Because you're a big fight guy, but uh, before we get to that. Uh, to start the ZabeCast today, I played the audio, which you may have heard, of Terry Collins going out to argue the ejection oh, yeah. of Noah yeah. Syndergaard. Uh, you being a longtime baseball scribe and knowing some of the legends of these nose-to-nose confrontations, like the great Earl Weaver, there was nobody any better, save for maybe Billy Martin. Uh, what did you make? Did you hear the audio first and foremost? Yes, I did. Okay, and and, I, and, and I what was... do you make? What do you make of the play? by Terry Collins. His opening gambit was to call the umpire a cocksucker. <laughs> I'm like, that's your opening gambit. Well you're already on eleven. You got nowhere to go from here. Yeah. And I mean that that will usually get you tossed. Yes.
1: I mean that that's that's one of the magic words. And why did why did it not get him tossed? Uh, you know, I I think that if I'm reading in between the lines, I think the umpires were told by the League Office not to let some assert, that situation that they expected to happen get out of hand.
0: Because this was and in to, the aftermath of yes. Chase Utley taking out, uh, who was it, Reyes, uh, with a hard slide and breaking his leg the, yeah. the year before in the playoffs?
1: Yeah. I, I, so, I mean, if you read what the umpire was saying, I think he was saying, basically, look, we were told to do this. It's something beyond our control.
0: Did you uh, like the phrase I, I think Did that's you like why the phrase throw him out? Did you like the phrase my ass will be in the jackpot? Yeah. He kept saying that. I've never heard that before. People have sent me links to its origins and where it's been used. Had you being a wordsmith and a man who's been around, have you ever heard my ass will be in the jackpot? No, I've
1: never heard that either. Uh to be honest with you. And I I think that was why he Terry Collins probably didn't get tossed. Uh, but that, so. that was classic. Right, so, question, audio.
0: how was that mic'd up? Did did MLB Productions mic up the umps just because they thought maybe this particular game? Do they routinely have microphones on umpires?
1: I don't know, but if you go
0: search for that video now,
1: it's been pulled from almost every site. Oh, I should have saved it. Yeah, I, I found it late last night, finally, on a Facebook entry, but when I Google it, and I, I go to like USA Today or other places. This the, the the video's been pulled. Wow! So and baseball, who should embrace that? Apparently, took it back. They ought, I mean, they ought to. They People up, are talking about
0: it. They ought to mic up every. They ought to publish and mic up every confrontation, every brawl, every manager and umpire interaction ever. It'd be the greatest thing.
1: Yes, that was fun.
0: Good stuff. All right, Canelo Triple G. The rematch go.
1: Well, I thought Triple G won the first fight. I, I mean, the fact that it was a draw was was a Vegas Golden Boy decision that that was shameful. Uh I I think that, you know, I think that Canelo basically there's a difference between fighting defensively and backing up and running away and backing up and I think Canelo did more of the running away. I covered Pernell Whitaker in his prime i know what a defensive fighter who who, who can w- score points while backing up looks like <laughs> and th- and that wasn't canelo right. and i th- I think triple g won't leave it up to the judges this
0: time but a g- but a good fight for boxing though oh
1: yeah, yeah. the only fight the only right really.
0: yeah well the only fight's the good fight and you and you <laughs> love you love boxing so it's it's good for boxing and it'll be fun i wish i was going out to the vegas you can go out to uh, cover it
1: probably not i think my vegas days may have may have passed me by
0: what wait a minute i'm (laughs) wrapping it up with you today we can't open this can of worms all right you know what hold that thought next time we visit we'll 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 discuss that at length that to me would be a more tragic passing than the stupid season ticket waiting list tommy's vegas days are over that can't be the case i'll talk you out of it all right well, you're going to have to take me with you sometime. That's the only way I'll get there. Listen, that's totally doable, and it's on my bucket list now. <laughs> Tom Lavero has an outstanding podcast. It's called Cigar- Cigars and Curveballs. can be found wherever podcasts are found. Tell us what the current episode is.
1: Well, I just got done talking to Larry Holmes, former heavyweight champion. Uh, he just celebrated the 40th anniversary of the night he won the title from Ken Norton when they used to fight 15 rounds, not 12 rounds, and uh, probably the greatest heavyweight title fight in the past 40 years. And the one podcast that just dropped is uh, an interview with uh, uh, broadcaster and sports writer Leslie Visser about her career oh. uh, covering all kinds of sports, from the Super Bowl to the Olympics to Final Fours. A r- really impressive resume.
0: Good stuff. Lovey, always great to talk to you. Thank you for your time, brother, and we will chat Thanks.
1: soon. Thank you, Dave. Love talking to you. All
0: right, we'll end with this today, and I know this is something that is better watched on the Internet than me just talking about it, but you may have seen it, and if you haven't seen it, I'll make sure to tweet it, and you can check my Twitter timeline to see for yourself. There's a video out there, which is truly astounding, that shows you just how strong animals really are. And what you have is a case of three pro wrestlers Big burly ass dudes in a game of tug of war. A little game of tug of war with surely an easy opponent. Someone they should be able to pull with absolutely no problem whatsoever. Who's the opponent? A two and a half year old lion cub. Yes, a lion cub. Not even a grown full sized lion but a lion cub is biting down on and digging in with her claws inside a zoo cage a very thick rope a tug of war style rope probably a 3 to 4 inch thick rope and the lion is playing a friendly game of tug of war the rope goes through a little you know hole in the cage and around the corner to where the three pro wrestlers have dug in themselves they're like all right come on let's let's win this tug of war and they are pulling on this lion cub and making zero ground whatsoever in fact the lion cub does not even look tired that is an absolutely priceless video just reminds you of uh, yeah wild animals uh, will fuck you up big time especially alpha predators like a lion even if it's a two and a half year old cub that's not even fully grown three bodybuilders three three pro wrestlers now You better bring five or six or seven. I kind of want, and I'm not sure if they would allow this, I kind of want to see a team of six, seven, eight, nine, ten. How many burly-ass wrestlers would it take to actually move a lion cub who's biting down on a rope off of its stance in a game of of tug-of-war? My guess, and it's just a guess, is six. No, seven. All right, six strong dudes and one midget on the end. Maybe a a Tyron Lannister on the end. Just six and a little bit uh, extra. Six and maybe, you know, someone that's strong-ish but not that strong. Somebody fit, I guess. Whatever. Just keep adding guys. Let's let's see what it takes. And then once we figure out who can win a tug-of-war with a -a two-and-a-half-year-old Lion Cub, Let's figure out how many men it would take to actually win a game of of tug-of-war against a full-grown, you know, Mufasa-sized lion. That I would love to see. That will be a wrap for today. You know the drill. Tell two friends and hit up the internet message boards wherever you go on how great the Zabecast is. Please leave a positive review. It does help and a rating. Download, subscribe at all the major podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, and more. And remember, we're in the doldrums of summer, even though the U.S. Open's going on, and the World Cup is going on, so we'll have plenty to talk about there, but if you want me to go far afield, deep dive, inside baseball on anything, hit me up on email, zabe at yahoo.com, and if it's a good idea and interesting, then I will go there. I will go there during the months of June, July, and August.